invite you to take a Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 13. It's on page 819, the passage we'll be looking at, 819, Matthew chapter 13. And as you're turning there, I would remind you for the past, well, the Sundays in January, we've given out at the exits, and there's still a few left, 21 days of personal worship. It's a starter plan for doing a daily devotional. And uh, about 225 of you have taken copies, but there's still a few left, and this will be the last Sunday uh, those are available. So I hope if you haven't got one, you'll take it and try that out for 21 days. This is a chapter filled with parables, but we're only going to look at one of those parables, and it's called the parable of the net or the parable of the dragnet. And it begins in verse 47. Verse 47. Hear God's word. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good in containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So ends the reading of God's holy and inspired and inerrant word. Let's pray together. O Lord, you have said we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. So we pray that you would feed our hungry souls. Show us what is real and what is not. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I know that a number of you here are teachers, teachers by profession. Some teach in elementary school, some in high school. Some in college and some in graduate school. Um, Many are not professional teachers, but you teach your children either through homeschooling at at home or through just teaching them basic life skills before they go to school. Some of you teach in Sunday school. Some of you train employees in the workplace. And so you are a teacher. Uh, All good teachers know that a key component of good teaching is creative repetition to say the same thing over and over in different ways, to take different approaches to the same point. As the master teacher, Jesus certainly used repetition, as he does here in this chapter of Matthew 13. Jesus often taught with what are called parables. Now, parables are almost unknown in the rest of the Bible. There are a few in the Old Testament. But yet, when we come to the teaching of Christ, parables comprise a huge portion of Jesus' teaching. And he intended those parables not only to communicate a truth, but to have life-changing implications. Now, what is a parable? A parable is a teaching tool, and it relies on the person hearing it to make the connection to life. Haddon Robinson was a great preacher and Uh, instructor of preachers. And he noted that a parable is not the same thing as an illustration. In an illustration, such as in a sermon, the preacher or the teacher will take the abstract truth and then try to clarify it with some sort of story. That's an illustration. But a parable doesn't do that. A parable is something that's tossed out alongside the truth. So you have to make the connection yourself. For example, if I say 
Even monkeys fall out of trees. That's a parable. But if I make the connection and say, even monkeys fall out of trees, even experts make mistakes, then that's an illustration. Because it forces, it makes the connection there for you. A parable doesn't do that. A parable forces you to make the connection and to bring what's being said into connection with life. And so if you don't work at it, you won't get it. Matthew 13 is filled with parables. There are seven. Verses 1 to 2 give us the setting. It says the same day, that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. So it's in the popular phase of Jesus' ministry. He's well-known. People want to hear him such that they are crowded up on this beach, basically, on the Sea of Galilee, that he gets into a boat, and he pushes out from the shore, and he's teaching them. And the listeners, as they are standing there, hear him tell about, first, the parable of the sower, or the soils. Then they hear him tell the parable of the wheat and the tares, or the wheat and the weeds. Then he gives the parable of the mustard seed. And then the parable of the leaven. And then he tells the parable of the hidden treasure, and then the parable of the pearl of great price, and then finally this parable that we read, the parable of the dragnet. So these seven parables, and they are all focused on the kingdom of God. The creative repetition, he's saying it over and over, the kingdom of God is like. What is the kingdom of God in Jesus' day? The people, as you know, expected it to be a, a militaristic kingdom, to overthrow the Roman Empire to break the backs of the Romans who ruled over them. And yet Jesus said the kingdom of God is in your midst. It's wherever the rule of God occurs. He said the kingdom of God is within you to his disciples. So wherever God reigns, that is his kingdom. And here these parables focus on the value of the kingdom, such as in the, the early ones. He has described God's kingdom as saying like a field, it's like a field where good wheat and weeds both grow together, but at the harvest the weeds will be gathered and burned while the wheat is put in the barn. Then he says that the kingdom is like a treasure. It's so valuable that a man finds this buried treasure in a field. He covers it back up, he sells everything he has, and he goes and he buys the field. So he's saying the kingdom of God is, is worthy of our highest priority. Then he tells us like a businessman who goes on a trip, who is a buyer and seller of pearls, and he, he finds a magnificent pearl, a pearl of great price, and it is such a precious pearl and so valuable, he goes and sells everything he has so that he might purchase that pearl. These stress that the kingdom of God is valuable, and a wise person that values what is real will do whatever is necessary to acquire it. Now... In this last of the seven parables, he says the kingdom of God is like a net. And it's a net dragged through the sea, gathering fish of every kind. Now, because unless you live on the coast, you probably uh, rarely see a dragnet. And I can tell you this, if you Google it, you're just going to be told about the 1960s television show. But a dragnet, you can find out, is about six to eight feet tall and as much as a, at least a hundred yards long. 
So picture this long rectangle. And at the bottom of the, drag of the net are lead weights. And at the top are floats. So the idea, and maybe you've seen this done, I've seen two boats do this down uh, on, on the Florida coast. They, they make a semicircle. They go out and they, they leave one end of the net on the shore and they go out and they are, are dropping that net behind them and they make a semicircle. And then the workers will stand on the beach and they begin to pull that net in. And re regarding how, how big it is, whatever's in the water that, that it isn't quick enough to swim over the top of it is going to get caught in that net as this net, this semicircle gets smaller and smaller and it catches all these types of fish if the fish are there. Uh, Jesus says the kingdom of God is just like that net. It is gathering kingdom members into it. And so he is providing us here with a picture of Christian mission. Christian mission. What are we doing? We as Christians today, we're dragging the net into which all manner of people are caught. Fish of every kind, Jesus says. So the sea is the world. The fishermen are Christian witnesses. And the net is the kingdom of God. And for our purposes, that's usually expressed in local churches, visible churches. And it draws in all types of fish, some edible, some are not. Some are good, some are bad. So you can envision all kinds of fish in this net flapping their tails there after they are caught. Now the fish are those gathered into the visible church. The visible church, if you've not heard that term, are those is the church that's made up of everyone who claims to be a follower of God and their children. Those who believe in Jesus and their children who say they, they give a profession that they believe in Jesus and their children. They are part of the visible church. The invisible church is made up of all true believers through all of time. So the visible church, like First Presbyterian Church or, or whatever church, church in China or, or wherever else, is a visible church. It is a subcategory of the invisible church. But not everyone who is in a visible church is a member of the invisible church. Are you with me? So a person may say that they are uh, a believer in Jesus. They may be an actual member with their name on a roll like a of a church like this. They may have been baptized and they may receive the Lord's Supper and they may even give money and tithe and do good things, but they may not really know Christ. But they would still be a member of the visible church, but at that time not a member of the invisible church. So the Jesus is warning us about that here. We can assume from this parable that there's probably not a local church anywhere on the planet where all the members are true members of the visible church. So in verses 48 to 50, when we come to the latter part of the parable, there is a sorting out process. So there will come a time when the fishing is over. The net will be full as determined by the Lord. Only God makes that call. That's not our job. We don't make that decision. Only God does. Our job is to pull the net. Who will sort out the fish? The angels. 
Those messengers from God will separate the evil from the righteous. And there are only two divisions, evil and righteous. Not three, not four, not five, not an infinite number of divisions. Only two, good fish and bad fish. So the emphasis in the parable is on what happens to the bad fish. And he gives us a terrible picture of hell. What can we learn from this parable? First, Christians, we are to fish. We are to drag the net. And one way we do that is through our personal witness. Through that personal witness, we are dragging the net. And there are two factors, our words and our actions, our message and our conduct. We are surrounded by people who do not know Christ as their Redeemer. Or what they do know is not right. It is a distortion of that truth. When the prophet Jonah was reluctant to deliver God's message to the people of Nineveh, God said to him about the people of Nineveh that he described those people as 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand. And then God says, should I not have compassion on them? What a great question. Should we not have compassion on them? Our relatives, our neighbors, our co-workers, our fellow students, those with whom we have contact. And you may say, well, I can't preach a sermon. I can't verbalize what I believe very well. And I'm not philosophical or educated or trained enough to answer difficult questions. You say, I I just can't do that. Okay, what can you do? You can pray, can't you? You can drag the net by praying for your unsaved friends and family and others. You can give the irreducible minimum of what you believe. You can say, I don't have all the answers. Uh, I don't understand everything about the Bible or what it says, but I know that Christ died for me, and I understand that I am a sinner, that God has to punish sin, and that he's given me peace with him and peace within myself. You can say that. that it doesn't take a Ph.D. to say those, those things to another person. So we drag the net through our own personal witness. We also drag the net corporately as a church. When a person who has never had the opportunity to hear the gospel or has never been prepared to hear the gospel comes to one of these worship services and hears it for the first time, and that happens often, much more than, than, than you know, the net is being pulled when that happens. Well, who's pulling it? The preacher? No, that's one small part. The person who invited that person to come? The person who said, hey, you look new here. Why don't you sit with me? Or the person who says, I see you've got a a, a baby. Let me take you down to the nursery. I'll show you where it is. I won't give you directions. I'll take you down there, and then I'll bring you back up here. It's the person who greets them after the service. It's the person who invites them to, to have lunch with them. All of these people, all of that is pulling the net. We are dragging the net toward the shore. We also, and I could give many more of this, we drag the net with cross-cultural missions. Now, I know that most of you that are visiting here can speak English. I want to give you the name of a a man that that I've mentioned about 10 years ago. It's been a long time. And his name was William Borden. 
William Borden lived in, uh, in, around the year 1900. And he was, what we would say is he had it all. He was good looking, he was from a very influential family, and he was smart, and he was a committed Christian. Uh, he was also the heir to a fortune from the dairy, Borden Dairy Products family. As a student at Yale, William Borden decided he wanted to give his life to the cause of world missions. And after much research, he decided that he would focus and go to a place, a northwestern province in China called Gansu. Gansu, is that correct? It's a province in northwest China. And at that time, there were 8 million Muslims there who had never heard. And so William Borden determined, that's where I want to go. He had a very committed Christian, and they were talking about this. And so at age 25 after college, and then he went to Princeton Seminary for a little while. He didn't finish because he wanted to get to the mission field. He was accepted to serve a China Inland Mission. And so he, he very discreetly, with his mother and father's knowledge, gave away his entire inheritance. Not capriciously, he, he gave a fortune and he set up foundations for scholarships in Christian education and to support missions. Moody Bible College, in many ways through the years, has continued to run because of the giving of William Borden. He gave away his entire inheritance at age 25. By today's standards, about $80 million. And then William Borden leaves for China. And it was, it was headlines in America. It would be somewhat akin to the Gates having a child that goes to be a missionary. So the headline said, Borden leaves for China. So he's on a boat. They stop in Cairo, Egypt, where he is to do some intensive language training before going on to Gansu. He gets off of the ship, contracts cerebral meningitis, and dies two weeks later in a hospital bed in Cairo. And his grave is still in Cairo. I've seen pictures of it. The world looked at that and said, what a waste what a waste. All the talent, all the ability, all the influence, and waste. So what was William Borden doing? Was he doing something irresponsible? No, he was pulling the net. He was pulling the net with cross-cultural missions. All local churches are composed of people who are converted and unconverted, those who are children of God and those who are not. Let me change perspectives. You or I can be inside the net, inside the visible church, have your name on a roll, be a third or fourth or fifth generation member, and yet not be in Christ. We can receive the water of baptism, but not the living water. We can receive the communion bread and wine and have never fed on Christ by faith. The question is, are you converted? Because the net is now being drawn, and soon it will be completely pulled up on the shore, out of the water, and the true character of every heart will be exposed. The eternal separation of the fish will take place. So the final reckoning says that when the net is dragged ashore, the fish are separated, the good from the bad, the angels will throw the evil into the fiery furnace, and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is a terrible, horrible picture of hell. 
What Jesus was saying as he closed this series of parables was a warning. He wanted them and he wants us to look at this and be warned to take action. He says that the sorting will be absolute. In this life, we have the mixture of righteousness and and wickedness. We have redeemed people. We have unredeemed people all in the church, and the lines are not clear. The camps are not easily to separate, but that will change. People will be separated into one group or the other, and it will be permanent. It will be absolute, and it will be permanent. There will be no reversal. There will be no appeal. The day of choosing will be over. That will be a thing of the past. The day of salvation will be a time of the past. And everything within us wants to think there's got to be other opportunities. And yet the Bible tells us there will not be. John Blanchard put it this way. All the roads that lead to hell are one-way streets. And then Jesus uses a phrase that cannot bring comfort to any of us. And it's, that's the gnashing of teeth. It's a phrase he uses elsewhere in Matthew. He uses it at least four other times in Matthew. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of, of, of teeth. We can attempt to gloss over the terrible descriptions of hell, primarily given by Jesus. He spoke more about hell than, any, uh, than, than he ever did about heaven. And yet, even if some of the language is metaphorical, which which Bible believers think some of it is metaphorical, like how can you have a place of darkness and at the same time have fire? I mean, they, well, regardless, assuming it is metaphorical, some of it, we know in the scriptures that whenever metaphor is used, the reality is worse. So regardless of the specifics, hell involves terrible, unimaginable suffering removed from all the blessings of God, removed from the comforts of this life. And so Jesus is saying any wise person would do whatever he or she could to avoid this at all costs. It is a warning. This parable is a warning. It's like seeing a sign where a bridge is washed out saying, turn back. The intention of the sign is not just to educate you, it's to motivate you to take action. And that's what this parable is doing. What are we to do? Well, one of the clearest Verses is in Romans 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has, has eternal life. Verse 51 is really, though it... It's not part of the same paragraph. After these parables, Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, Have you understood all these things? And they say yes. Had they from their actions later? No, but they thought they had. They say, Yes, we have understood all these things. I would ask you the same question. Do you understand these things? Not only the other parables, but this parable. Do you understand? Is this reality? Bill Borden left a wealth of influence to help draw the net. He walked away from it. God called him away from it. A fortune and a place in in American culture to go do that. He died at a young age and the world called it a waste. But God called it faith. Before Bill Borden, William Borden died, he had written inside his Bible. 
No reserves, no retreats, no regrets. No reserve, no retreat, no regret. Let's pray together. Our Father, we uh, find this very sobering. We pray that it would be sobering enough for us to examine our own hearts to see that we are not trusting in ourselves, but only in the righteousness of Christ through his perfect life and his death on our behalf, that he was our substitute, that he died in our place, and that our trust would be in that, that we've experienced the new birth. If that's not the case, we cry out to you to give faith, to give understanding, to give new life, that we would be born again. But we also pray that that you would give us a sense of urgency in this life, uh, to see that it's not about our comfort or our particular desires or our, our own little world, but that it's part of something bigger. And help us in whatever ways we can to use our time, talent, and resources to help draw the net, individually and corporately. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.